0: Um, I'm in a sermon series about the covenants, and I'm preaching on the covenant with Noah this morning. And so if you want to turn to your scripture uh, in Genesis 8, we're going to study the portion or read the portion. Uh, it's it's kind of lengthy, but we're going to eat it all at once and savor it through the rest of the time together. So we're going to start in Genesis 8.20 and go to 9.17. So let's go to the Lord word this morning. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every bird, clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it and from man." From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man, his blood be shed. For God made man in his image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. This is the sign of my covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, "This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth." Church, this is the word of God. Whew. was a lot. It was a lot to read. Um, It was good, but I wrestled with whether to have it all up front, and I felt like it would be best if I did, as I want to share today about this story, the imagery used, the truth revealed. And as I was looking into this, I thought it was quite odd the way God made this promise with us. It was Um, Or it wasn't odd that he made this promise. It was odd when we consider our current context with what he promises his sign to be. And as we think about what that symbol, the rainbow, is so often used to represent today. I find it cosmically ironic and bordering on satirical how we see this sign of the covenant with Noah has taken form in our current context and modern society. This majestic spectacle is what God places in the sky as a reminder that he will not exact the kind of massive punishment upon mankind and beasts of the earth or the earth itself ever again, yet in our day, we see it. It's been adopted as a symbol of a movement that not only is called an abomination in God's sight, but rejects God wholesale. And if it doesn't do that, it so radically distorts his word, the plain witness of scripture, that it's blasphemy or bordering on insanity at times. And that said, I'm not just trying to stoke fires of a culture war, but I hope that the message of the text today and the message of the sermon today will cause us to examine ourselves for any similar defiance or distrust or rejection towards our God. So, with trembling hearts, we humbly cry out to the God of that made covenant with Noah, that he is both just and that we ask he would be merciful with us. I pray that as we look into this today, we would all see um, that just and merciful God more clearly. And that, when we look at the text, we see that what was the problem there? The problem in the text in the days of Noah was the wickedness of man's heart. And church, that's our problem today. Is the wickedness of man 's heart our problem is we, we, we began to read it already in their day, and we can see it in our own is that our pro, uh, we have evil intentions and inclinations, ours are also corrupt and evil, as we read if you read earlier in the chapter of verse five through eight, if you recount what God when God is laying out the plan to do this you 'll see him. Talk about the wickedness and corruption of man's heart. And that is the situation we remain in. And that he will also, just as in the days of Noah, our problem remains that not only are our hearts evil, but God must judge that evil. God will judge that evil. But not according to, he doesn't grade on a curve. He judges according to his righteous standards. But the wonderful part about this text, the wonderful part about this text, and and our God, its author, is that his judgment does not ultimately destroy those in covenant with him. Noah went through the flood. He saw the destruction. But God's judgment does not destroy because God is in covenant with him. So having read the text and proclaimed that simple truth that God will judge evil and but those in covenant with him will not be ultimately destroyed I'm tempted to you know I could just leave in the gospel hey look that's the good news has been presented that God will judge evil and if we are in right relationship with him we're good he will not destroy us but I suspect if I rely on that alone that's not what Brian or the session had in mind. And if I stopped there, you'd certainly all beat everyone to the restaurants. But, but I'm happy that that's not the expectation this morning. I'm glad that I'll get to look a little deeper into God's covenant with Noah. Because um, it is such good news, church. It was good news for Noah and his family. And it is good news for us today. It is just as good for us if not better, considering we have the light of the successive covenants to further illuminate God's goodness to us. And this particular covenant is one of the covenants with man that, that God actually enacts, and it is wholly of his grace. He does not place obligations in this covenant. It is wholly his doing. He exacts it. He doesn't say, well, hey, you're responsible to do this. We see that in later covenants, and God did those for particular reasons. But the the really awesome things about this covenant is that it's not dependent upon you and me, it's all of His grace. So let's look a little closer. I love how this passage opens up where where we started reading today because it's basically Noah having a worship service. We see God, him worshiping God and making an offering to God. But the beautiful picture there is not that Noah worked up to do this. The first thing I notice is that what does he offer? He offers a sacrifice to God of one of the animals that God himself preserved. He didn't have to go look for it. This is all a product of what God's grace in his life has brought him to, and God provides the sacrifice. All these animals that were offered, it said he offered one of every clean animal, and all of these were offered, all of these that were offered were there by God's preservation. And we see this in other covenants as well, that God provides his sacrifice. We, we, you can remember the promise that he made to Abraham when he spared the life of Isaac. And then he says, when he stopped his hand, and later on, he, what does he say? He says, I will provide for myself a lamb. And of course, post-Christ, we, we get to know that that did take place in Christ, and it was fulfilled. He provided the lamb. And so Noah was worshiping. And Yahweh promised Yahweh promised that He would again Yahweh promised that that He would provide those sacrifices. Whether it was the Lamb with Isaac or Christ on the cross, he makes promises, and Noah is responding to God's fulfillment of, of promises that He would preserve. We see that he, had, in obedience, had built the ark, and God spared him, and there's more promises to come. And at this post-flood worship service, Yahweh again promises Noah some things. He promises that as he set forth this covenant with Noah and also us today, he tells Noah that he will never again curse the ground or strike everything every living thing down in judgment because of man's wicked heart. Pause on that for just a moment. God is saying, look, all that stuff, I will never, all the destruction that you yourself just saw, that I told you I was going to do because of a wicked generation. he, He tells Noah, he said, I'm promised to never do these things again. And I, I, I got to think for a second, like if, if we'd have been in that situation, if God just had stopped there, as soon as he said, hey, I'm never going to do this again, we'd have been, I'll take it. That's, that's good enough. That's good enough. I'll, he just would, we would have interjected at that and said, praise God, you're never going to do this again? Awesome. <laughs> we win. But God does even better than that, church. God does one even better. He also then gives the promise of a sustained natural order on the earth. We see him then reestablishing and promising to uphold the order of his creation. And this is why mankind has persisted in our efforts towards human flourishing to this day, because God made those promises. That's the only way we can do that. God assures us of this general regularity on the earth that's why we can grow food that's why we can plan for the weather that's why we can build communities church because we live in God's good creation now and imagine Noah having just seen all of what was good God declared good wrecked God says look I'm never going to do that again and from this moment forward until the earth ends you will have regularity you will have a sort of general regularity among the earth. And this grace that he gives to Noah has enabled all of us, until now, this same grace, these promises that he gave, they enable us to, to do science. They enable us to look Deep into the microscopic level, or 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 greatly out at his creation, because he has sustained the natural order of things. That's the only. That's the only reason we can even do things like the scientific method, where we you know observe, research, hypothesize, test, analyze, and repeat. Basically, that's because God. We live in a world that is orchestrated, and 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 not just created, but is 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 maintained by a powerful God who made promises that he would not destroy it again. And so, because we have this good God who's made these promises, we have that blessing. But it's somewhat a challenge as I consider that because this Promise is not just to the believer. You and I live in this regular, seemingly, we we count on a natural order daily. But so does the unbeliever. And unfortunately, these benefits are extended to the same people who would use them Use these good gifts from God to militate against him. They they will use these gifts to militate against the giver of these gifts. And God, even in knowing how a corrupt people will inevitably, inevitably use these gifts, he blesses Noah and his sons and all generations with these blessings. And he tells them to go and be fruitful and fill the earth. And he promises them a posterity. He promises them a future And he does not lie. Additionally, we see this sort of reminder of the dominion mandate in chapter 1. But with this modification, we we see where humans are no longer going to be restricted to only eating uh, the herb of the field. So they're no longer vegetarians. Rather, they will eat every moving thing that lives. And I think some people in our state, we like every moving thing gotcha I love it I'm on that one (laughs) I know there's other cultures that eat strange things too but I think South Louisiana was like hold on we can eat every moving living thing okay gotcha and then we have stuff like crawfish and I'm I'm all about that life but if can you imagine that being the case back then you're going from eating nothing but the vegetables to like hold on we can eat what now uh, and, you know, as I thought about this text, uh, especially this portion, it was really tempting um, to kind of go on a rabbit trail and be like, you yeah, know, I want to write and preach a sermon called The Grace of Steak. But it was not really the point this morning, but I was like, man, I could, I could, I could formulate this. Like, we're freed from vegetarianism. We've been given meat. But, um, but that was, you know, a rant that I, I didn't even bring it up to Brian, but I just was like, man, that would, that would be fun. And uh, I didn't want to get disciplined, so. But that's not really the main point this morning, church. The, the main point of this is that God expands his provision to us. After destroying the natural order that preceded this, he establishes a new one, makes a promise about it, and then gives them even more supply of provision He gave them, previously he had given every good seed, but now we also have every living thing that moves as a source of God's provision for us. See, he promises us provision. He promises them provision, and he does not lie. In this, God reaffirms his care for life, both human and animal, Though with much distinction, he demonstrates his care for both animal and humankind in the text. And we are indeed to have dominion. We, he's restating what was covered in Genesis 1 and 2. And we see this in later covenants. Well, God even, he cares about Creation. He cares about both human and animal so much that he even gives laws about how they're to raise their animals and then applies it to how the church should care for their pastors. So we see this abiding theme and faithful promise throughout God dealing with his people. He can, he's concerned about his creation. He cares. He's not the absentee landlord that some try to paint him as. And that's why Christians... Have the duty and the responsibility to care and steward our creation, rightly so. We do not hold uh, all things in this earth at the same level of human life, but we are to be good stewards of it. Like, use all of the animal if you're going to kill it. And he gave it to you, use it all. And he reminds us, or he institutes. The fact that if you take a life of an image bearer, your life is forfeit. God tells us in that how he regards life, both human and animal. And then Yahweh closes his statement of this covenant by restating it and making a promise that he will indeed remember it. See, God is so good in how he clarifies this for them and for us today, church. He said, not only will I never flood this earth and that I will sustain it until it ends, till it ceases, but this promise is with mankind, all future generations. It's with animals and it's with the earth itself. That's what God declared. That's what God tells Noah. It's it's not just a promise for you, Noah. It's for all mankind. It's for all the beasts, and it's for the earth itself that he will not do these things and he will sustain it. And he promises that even though, even though you have wicked hearts, I will never do this again because he's patient. God promises us his patience and he does not lie. You know, as I was reading this, it made me think about people's differing views on the flood itself, whether it was regional or local or global. And I want to give liberty to brothers who may disagree and sisters who may see things differently, uh, and, and just honest people of God who disagree on this. I want to love them. I want to show them their. Uh, I want to show them God's love where we differ. But I think I became even more convinced of. The global flood, I had already believed it i didn 't change my mind, but I, I became even more convinced because God said that hey i 'm never going to do this again, and if we have floods all the time, we have regional, we have local floods constantly, and God said he wasn 't going to do that, and he does not lie, so i can 't reconcile those possibilities, and I want to be loving with my brothers who can but we have a God who does not lie to us, church. And he said he won't do it. And if he's doing it yearly, if this natural order is not under his control and it's all going to hell in a handbasket, then he lied. And he does not lie. And then God said he's going to put this big, bright, beautiful reminder in the sky. But for who? Verse 13 and on, it tells us that he will look on it and remember this everlasting covenant that he sets upon us. And church, while we can certainly, and we can and should, look upon the rainbow and remember God's mercy and, and, his, his, and our hope in those promises, absolutely we can do that. let's not get it twisted. That's not its primary purpose. Purpose. The primary purpose is that it reminds God, it said. Not that He forgets, but that that it says that He will look upon it and remember His covenant with us. This means that when you, or that when a holy God looks down upon the people whom were graced with His image, and this is believer and unbeliever alike, that bear His image, when God looks down and they, they scoff or blaspheme or reject Him, He looks at the bow that He set in the sky and remembers it. And remembers His promise. He looks upon that ever His own everlasting covenant that He instituted, that He maintains. And while you and I would justly be deserving of the flood part two. He knows he made a covenant with us and he does not lie. And that, this beautiful display that we look upon, I don't know if you've gone down a YouTube rabbit hole, people that'll like go to really unique places in the world and try to find triple or double rainbows and and they're, just go, you'll laugh is all I'm gonna say. Um, if some of you have seen those videos, you know what I'm talking about. People, that this, this, this one guy in particular, he just oozes and gushes with this sort of sentimentality. I'm not denigrating him. But this display is is a bow, but not it's not some cutesy thing. His bow is a weapon of war. And when we look upon... This bow that he has set in the sky, it's not some cutesy thing to convey warm feelings in our heart and be all soft and just cuddly. It's, it should instead, this should make us consider, this majestic display should make us consider and tremble at his power and his might and his glory. That is what the rainbow should bring to our minds is his power and his promises, not just oh look that 's light refracting through things in the sky and and or this this movement, or oh hey, it just I love rainbows because they 're so pretty, and look i got I got four girls, I get some rainbows drawn in our house, and they are they are super cute, especially when they draw smiling clouds and everything else, yeah, super cute but that is, not, that is not the rainbow that our God paints. The beautiful promise sign is not one of softness. It's one of a strong promise that he does not break. So what now? How does this Bronze Age tale apply to our post-Enlightenment Western thought How does it apply to even modern evangelicals? And and you know it's it's easy to, you've probably heard it, where people will wrestle with sort of these judgment language and 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 well you know why are we talking about covenants we don't really use that language too much, um, why are you talking about judgment that's you know that's where we just we just want Jesus. Just tell us about Jesus and, and the gospel. you don't need to talk about god's judgment or, or about his covenants with man. those are you know you 're making too much of a system out of this and, and just just read the Bible and talk about Jesus. Just love people with Jesus it's easy you, you, you've heard this from I perish to think christian radio or or um, just a lot of modern evangelicals that are I like the term I heard someone else say, even jellyfish. They just don't have a spine. And I don't want to be unloving to our brothers, but sometimes that is, we can get tr- caught up in that as well. It will impact our thoughts and our approach with things. And, and when, unless we feel um, compelled to, to, well, you know, maybe I'll minimize these things, not talk about God's judgment or his, or his promises not to judge And just talk about Jesus. Well, guess what, church? Jesus talked about Noah and talked about the covenant and the times of Noah, talked about the wickedness. We see in in Matthew 24, Jesus talks about that. I'm going to go to that real quick. I apologize. I did not put it in my slides. Matthew 24, verse 36, if you want to turn in your own scripture. We're going analog this morning. And so when Jesus is talking about Noah, and I'm not getting into this end time. We're not going to have time to peel this end times onion. I didn't try to get you from Noah to Revelation in one day. Uh, I didn't have, if I had 55 minutes, I could have made it. But, you know, I was like, I'm not going to try it today. I only got like, you know, 30, 45. They give me 55, I can do it. But but no, when they ask Jesus about like, hey, when are you going to return? What does he tell them? He tells them, he he, he doesn't talk about, well, you know, just don't worry about that. Just believe the gospel and talk about nice things and don't talk about my judgment. What? No. He tells them when they ask that question, he answers something else. And I I love how Jesus did that. When people were trying to ask him things, he, he didn't necessarily answer the way they wanted. He answered the truth, the way he wanted to. And that was a beautiful thing of that. And when they asked him about his return, he basically said, look, you don't get to know this. You don't get to know the time. He says, no man does. But then he points them to, the t- to their Bible, to the text that they would know. He says, uh, we start in verse 36. He says, but concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware. So will it be for the coming of the Son of Man. And I bring that up because he, doesn't get, he, doesn't tell, he tells us we don't get to know that. And basically, friends, we don't get to know all the details. We don't get to know the, the hour, hour, hour of judgment. Whether it's his return or him calling us home. Didn't even think about that till just now. Till he returns and calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand I live. That's the reality. That he doesn't give us all the answers the way we ask those questions in our life. We don't know the appointed time. We don't know how these situations are always going to work out. But what does he give us? He gives us his promises. So just like we see in the days of Noah, we see Jesus reference here that we'll continue to just go about our every... He, 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 he expects it about us. Like you're going to continue to go about your everyday life. And the temptation, church, is to continue going in our everyday life, to just let it become a toil, to let it get busy... And concerned with the issues of the day and losing sight and losing hope in the promises of God. And maybe getting caught up in the anxiety of all the unanswered questions and issues that he's not yet given us. And as I was thinking about this text, I kind of got bogged down in that for a moment. All the questions that Noah must have had, all the questions I had about the generations going around then, like we're not told a lot between, we're given some genealogy, but we're not given an exhaustive description of this generation, nor of the time with Noah. But what are we given? We're given the promises. We're given the promises. And as I was wrestling with this text, a a, a faithful brother offered some really insightful words about this. Is that when Moses recorded this for us, he left a lot unsaid. There's a lot he doesn't tell us. He doesn't give us insight into a lot of the obvious human issues, like, did Noah get anxious, church? Did his family start questioning or complaining as he built this ark? Did his neighbors mock him? Did his body ache as he built the ark? As the days grew long, did he wrestle with doubt? And not to mention the logistical nightmare of having to uh, live among the animals and then caring for them and cleaning up after them. I can't imagine that job. And I've mucked horse stalls for many years of my life. I can't imagine doing even a handful of horse stalls on a boat. Never mind all of God's preserved creation. And we know the rough estimate of the the size of this. Chalk to the brim of animals. I can't imagine that. There are countless details that we're not given We're not told much about what man did or did not do. But you know what we did get, church? We got an abundantly clear message on what God did and what he promises to keep doing. He told Noah that he would deal with the wickedness of that generation. And he did not lie. And for many, sadly, they think that judgment never comes. They don't believe God. They... There's no God to hold them to account. You know, some write songs about it. No hell below us, above us only sky. It's easy to fall into that trap in our culture. And perhaps as bad or maybe even worse is when there are some who acknowledge the existence of God, they will acknowledge him, but they can't fathom for a moment that he would ever punish their sin or their evil because he's just so merciful and just so loving. Men will have the hubris to think that the same God who poured out his wrath on his only son, the perfect and sinless, righteous God-man, would never judge them. Hogwash. On the contrary, because he is a loving And merciful God, He does deal with sin and has dealt with sin ultimately and finally for those who are found in Christ. He poured out His wrath on His Son to the benefit of all those who, like Noah, find grace with God. See, for in 2 Peter 2, 3, 9, reminds us that uh, God is not slow, as some count slowness. But what does it say? It says, but He is Patient towards you that all should come to repentance but he also says the day of the Lord's judgment will come and he does not lie so church our God remembers his promises he remembers the promises of patience and provision and to give us a posterity and he does not lie He made these promises to us. He is patient with His people even when we find ourselves feeling hopeless and we're toiling away rather than trusting in His promises. In seasons of weariness, church, we have His promises. We may not have all the answers, but we have His promises. When we are wrestling with family situations of brokenness or sickness, Or another war. Or financial woes. Like how am I going to fill this gas tank? How am I going to put food in this pantry? But remember, our God promised to provide. And he does not lie. And this same God promised us, church, posterity for all generations. So when it seems that the church on earth God's people on earth, when it seems like we are getting kicked in the teeth and that all hope is lost, God promised to preserve. When we feel like we can barely keep our head above water, He sends an ark. If you've ever spent restless nights where it feels like everything is crumbling around you and you can't do anything but pray and you go to anguish and maybe even anger. Church, I invite you, I encourage you all to look to the God who remembers his promises to us and remember that he does not lie. Let us pray. Father, We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your patience with our sin. And Lord, we thank you that you are faithful when we are not. Lord, help us. Help us to remember your promises this day, Lord. And help us hold fast to the everlasting truth that you do not lie. And that you are faithful to your people. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.